challenge question. So Jesus is in a sense saying to him, you asking me, the one who created spirits, angels, demons, if I can do something, yes, I can do something. If I can, yes, I can. And I want to. And then we see, um, we see the following response. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That is two words that we don't find often in the same sentence. I believe, help my unbelief. Ek geloof, help my ongeloof. Okay? I believe, but help my unbelief. And then the story goes on that the boy fell at Jesus' feet. Demon was cast out. He was raised. Some thought he was dead, but he, he stood up and he was totally healed. But Jesus addressing this unbelief in the Father saying, I can. I can do this. I can help you. You're desperate. You're in need. You've tried everything and now you've come to me. I can help you. And also, in a sense, rebuking his disciples. They're asking afterwards, why didn't it work when we prayed? And he said to them, these only go out by prayer and fasting. Okay, so, so if we read the story and we read Scripture, I'm going to just share some of the stories um, out of the, of the word that, that we see that this happens so often to believers, to people that follow Jesus, that, that they're full of faith, but also a measure of unbelief. And I don't know about you, and I'll be the first one to confess, as we are honest tonight and vulnerable, that I find that in my own life a lot. I'm filled with faith. Then two, three days later, I'm like, like Sias will say. <laughs> now there's problems. I've, I've been there so many times, I can't even tell you. We've, we've did some crazy wild things, and then I had some sleepless nights, and wild in a good sense, um, and then I had some sleepless nights. Is, is God going to come through for us? Is this going to work? Is this, this relationship going to heal? Is this breakthrough going to come like God promised? Is what He say, can I trust Him? That's the main question that we actually ask, can I really trust Him? And, and all through Scripture, this has been the question. That's why in the beginning, the, the enemy said to Adam and Eve, he said, did he really say that? that? What's the question there? Can you trust Him? You can't really trust Him, because this is actually what he meant when he said that. So, so in all of us, if you look around in the front, at your back, at the sides, there's people struggling with this tension of faith and unbelief. And, and, and Scripture says that, that, that God the Father is a sower of good seeds. Okay, and that seeds of faith, that seeds of love, of grace, He sows it into our hearts, and we respond in a, in a, in a great way. And sometimes I've, I've seen that God sows seed of faith in our life. He shows us things to come. David um, defeated Goliath, and he was just um, anointed as king before that. And God shows him a picture. This is what it's going to look like. You have the head of the enemy in your hand. The whole nation is following you. This is, you're going to lead them into deliverance and victory. And then for 14 years, he's hiding out in caves, fleeing for his life. But he had this glimpse of this is what it's going to be like, that seed of faith. And God works like that. He's, he's, he's done it in my life. And if you just think of your own life, just imagine where was that maybe moments where God spoke to you and He said to you, this is what I have for you. Or this is what I've got planned for you. This is the promise for you. This is what's lying ahead of you. And then you go through a period of fire and pruning and whatever, and you, you, you 
you have to remind your soul of what you experienced there. It's like David sitting in the cave. If you read the Psalms, he was in dark places. He's like, Lord, have you left me? <laughs> okay, this is the, the man that's, that, that was said that it's a man after God's own heart. Lord, please do not take your spirit away from me. Um, if, you, if you go and read the Psalms, how he writes about his enemies, Lord, please strike them. <laughs> That's not real loving pastoral stuff right there. He's, he's, he's quite vivid. He's like, strike them, kill them. David, <laughs> um, I'm anxious when you speak like that. But he, he went through all these moments, but he had this moment where God said, this is what I have for you. You're going to lead this group of people in victory, this nation, you're going to lead them. And then he went through hell. And then he did lead them 14, 21 years later. 14, and then the first part, and then seven years more, and then the other part. And that it works like that. So as God is sowing seeds of faith, and hopefully we're going to pray that he will sow that seeds of faith tonight in our hearts and in our lives. When, when after these moments where God speaks to us, where people pray stuff over us, we write it down, prophecies, words, dreams, whatever it is. But also, as God does that, the enemy does seeds of doubt. And he sows it into your life. And he plants them. And you know what? There's no siren that goes off when he plants them. <laughs> That's the problem. I wish there was an enemy siren. He's here. And, and then you can discern him. It's like, okay, I must be awake now. But it happens as we have conversations. As we sit around the fire as we drink coffee, as we engage in our workplace or in our school or wherever we are. The enemy sows seeds of doubt. Stuff happens, we hurt, we're disappointed, we're disillusioned, and, and that stuff breeds. And, and you know what? Scripture says that unbelief, it's like a cancer. It will spread throughout your whole body you know, and it will influence everything. How you see life, how you hear God's voice, and so for us as believers, as people who follow Jesus and wants to fight this fight of faith, we have to violently pluck out every bit of unbelief and doubt from us, from our hearts. Okay, and I'm going to hopefully, by, by the help of the Holy Spirit, help us to do that tonight. So a few guys in, in Scripture that I see that, that, that Jesus actually helps them to get rid of their unbelief and the, the doubt. There's a... There's a there's a process. There's a process when it comes to this. It, it usually starts with discouragement and disappointment. Something happens. You didn't expect that. You didn't see it coming. There's some sort of a loss. Um, someone gets sick. Something happens that's unexpected and hard to, to manage. And then that, that situation carries over into doubt. So if it happened there, how can you trust Him in every other area of your life? And then it ends up in unbelief. I've got a lot of friends that, that studied with us. We studied together, this group here in front, um, that was passionately following Jesus. But as life happened, they, they grew cold, fell away. They didn't manage the, the, the unbelief and the doubt in their heart. They didn't repent of it. They didn't lay it aside. They didn't fight it. So they... They're just not with Jesus anymore. I don't want any of that to happen to any of us. So one of the guys that, um, for me, that Jesus works graciously with is Peter. Peter says, Jesus, I will do anything for you. I will cut off ears. 
I will kill people. I will follow you to the end. I'm the best disciple. And that's, the, that's the attitude of Peter. And then Jesus said to him, Peter, you're going to disown me three times. No, Jesus, not me. I love you more than all of these guys. And then you, we know the story. It happens. And Peter is so rocked. He, the rock, he's so rocked that, that he, he literally runs away and he goes fishing. He's like, I'm, I'm through with this. I'm finished. And Jesus, in his grace, actually said to the first people encountering him after he rose from the dead, said, call my disciples and Peter. Okay, he especially made mention of him because he knew he wouldn't come. I'm not a disciple anymore. Now, call the disciples and Peter. And then he went to them while they were fishing, bride them a fussy on the seashore. I don't know, that must be the, the most uncomfortable bride on earth. Okay, because all of them ran away and they had to look Jesus in the eye. I wish I could have been there. <laughs> How would that conversation go? And then at the end of that, after the tummies were full, Jesus asked him. He leads him into conversation. He asked him, do you love me, Peter? In front of everyone, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He leads him in a conversation to get rid of his doubt and his unbelief and his disappointment with himself. How can I allow this to happen? How can I betray the Son of God? He didn't hang himself like Judas, but he was very disappointed. He ran away from his calling, ran away from the commission and the mandate that Jesus gave him. So there was the, the first movement to get out of it is to start a conversation, to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. And Jesus, Jesus in, a, in a very gracious way, helps Peter. John the Baptist is a great example for me. John the Baptist um, had an amazing encounter. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, I don't know if you know that. He's family. And, and he says, this is, this, is, this is the one whom I've sacrificed for. This is the Lamb of God. I've eaten honey and spring corner for how many years living in the desert. And this is the man we've been waiting for. He says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to tie your sandals. Jesus says, John, you must baptize me. No, Jesus, please, I can't do it. John, it's so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. And John goes through with it. And at the baptism, the heaven doors out, tears open. Skier whoop. Got it. There we go. And what happens? The father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. A dove descends from heaven. That's pretty faith-building stuff right there, okay? I don't know if you've seen that, like, in quiet time. A dove resting on your house. Like, that's, if that happens to me, I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm ready to go now. Huh? He sees that, says, this is the Lamb of God. Father saying, this is my son in one while, please. A dove resting on Jesus. At the end of his ministry, John chapter 21, I'm not going to read it to you. He says to his disciples, go and ask Jesus if he is the Messiah, of, if, if we should look for someone else. What happened? I can tell you what I think happened. He's at the end of his life. He's, he's mad because um, his life is over. He's going to be beheaded. It's over. He... Jesus said, prepare the way, and he did prepare the way. He did what he was called to do, and now his life was over. And 
Isaiah 61 says that Jesus came to set the captives free. No? That's what Scripture says. Now, now, in a literally sense, this guy is a captive. He's a gefangene in, in prison. And Jesus doesn't even visit him. <laughs> and his family. So Jesus, are you really setting the captives free? That's what your word says. But I'm experiencing no visit, no love from my family member who I've laid down my life for. And these disciples come to Jesus and Jesus says the following to them. Tell John the lame walk, the blind see, and then he throws in a last bit of a jab. He says, and blessed are those who is not offended because of me. That's one of the things you never want to hear Jesus say to you. Blessed are those who is not offended because of me. That's what happened to John. He was offended because of a wrong expectation. Because he he thought it's going to be something else. How how many times does that happen to, to us? I thought it's going to be this way. I thought, Lord, when I follow you, it's all going to be like this and this and this, and now it's not like that. And then we're left with a bit of a a reality check and a disappointment in our heart, and and we have to do something about it. The last group that I want to share with you is in the book of Revelation. Sorry, I have to go there, Omu. I was so irritated in the start of, of lockdown with everyone saying to me that Bill Gates is the Antichrist, and that they're going to chip me and lead me where I don't want to go. That I, and, and everyone that said all those conspiracy stuff said, they get it out of the book of Revelation. So I thought, I'm going to read through the book, and then I'm going to preach through the book, because I don't want to hear any of that. Okay? I don't know if it's the best or the worst thing that I've ever done, because it's sort of ruined me. But the book of Revelation is, is about not the beast coming out of the sea, or the chip in the forehead, or whatever the end time prophecies. It's, a, this, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's, what the, that's the first heading of that book. It's, it's a revelation about Jesus. In, in that book, Jesus portrays himself in a different way to a group of people. And there's a reason why he portrays himself as a judge, as a holy judge to this group of people. Because these people live in, in modern day Turkey. There's seven towns that they live in. It's actual people, groups of people. And this book was written to encourage them. Okay? What was happening to them is they lived in a time where there was a Roman Caesar called Domitianus. In Porch, it was difficult to say Domitianus, so we just said Dominianus. Uh, it's not a popular joke but anyway (laughs) Domitianus was actually one of the guys that that the the Roman history they they erased the memory of him because he was so evil it happened a few times that they said this guy messed up so much that we don't want to actually be associated with him so he was one of the first men Caesars to say that I want people to worship me as their Lord and their God. So what happened is in the Colosseum, they would come into the Colosseum, everyone will sit, and before the games start, everyone will rise up, he will come into the Caesar box, and they will bow down and worship him, and say, Domitianus, our Lord and our God. What did the Christians do? (laughs) We're not going to bow down to you. We can't, because we say that Jesus is Lord and God. So it wasn't just a attention at, at a game event. It was also attention when they had to work because they, they had the statues all through these seven towns. And if you 
if you, have, if, if you want to work, you had to get a labellus. That was a certificate saying that you are fit to work. To get that labellus, you had to go to the statue. There was an officer. There was oil and water, and you have to sprinkle on this, this statue, bow down and say, do Mishihanas, our Lord and our God, and they will give you the certificate. If you didn't do it, you couldn't work. So it was documented that some of the Christians that didn't go through with it uh, was searching for food on, on the Opi Aswapa. It's not a great time to be alive as a, Christ, as a follower of Jesus. More than that, the people, the, the people in the, these seven towns started to persecute the Christians. The rumors started to go by that they are a bunch of cannibals. Why cannibals? Because they eat the flesh and drink the blood of someone. That's what we do when we do communion. We remind ourselves of the, of, of the res, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why we do communion. So they started the rumor, these guys are cannibals. They eat and drink the flesh and blood of someone. And they said, and I'm going to say this in Afrikaans because I don't know what it's in English. They said that there's a group of people who bloedskande do. Bloedskande is das, jy trouw binnen toe. Siblings. Want hulle sê die broers en die sisters slaap met mekaar. Kan jy dit geloof? So the mob, the people started to to, to actually persecute these people that, um, that followed Jesus. They would get into their home. They would um, drag the husband by the hair into the street, beat him, rape the wife, and I'm sorry, for, but it, it's literally what it was, and beat the children off to death. So think of it, you're in a setting like this. We worship together. It's a Sunday. It's, a, it's beautiful. You go home for lunch or dinner, and a group of people get into your home, does all that with you, and then on Tuesday morning you have to be at intercession, raising holy hands, saying, Jesus, you are faithful. You see the tension there. So there's a picture in Revelation 6 where there's a group of believers that has died for their faith around the throne of God. Now, I can't think of a holier place than the throne of God. They are around the throne of God and they're asking one question. God doesn't rebuke them in His holiness. He says to them, wait. If they ask him the following, this is, when will you avenge our blood from the inhabitants of the earth? That was what they felt. They said, you in your holiness, you have to react to this disobedience and rebellion. And then there was obviously the group of people on the ground that, that needed encouragement. Now, how would you encourage a group like that? <laughs> Okay, I would dress up as, as Father Christmas and just get everyone on my lap and hug them. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he shows John this picture where he visits the churches. And he says to them very sharply what he loves about them and how he wants to rebuke them for certain things. The first church, he says to them, you have forsaken your first love and turn away from me. If you do not stop that, I will come and put down the, your torch and not be in your midst anymore. He will not say that if he's not, if, okay, so Jesus encourages this group of people by speaking the truth to them, telling them that there is a higher reality, a higher truth that you need to be obedient to. To Mishianus and everything that's happening with this group of people does not have the last say, I do. Don't fear the one who can harm your soul and your body, but fear the one who can harm you for eternity. So the fear of God fell on this group of people. Revelation 4 is about this picture 
after the crucifixion where Jesus enters heaven and this question is asked by John, who is worthy to open the scroll in the hand of God? And John cries. He sees horrible things in the book of Revelation. He sees a woman on the back of a dragon drinking the blood of the saints. He doesn't cry about that. He, he sees horrible things. The destruction of nations. That's what he sees. This is the only time he cries. And he cries because there's no one that can, can reveal the plans and the purposes of God to this generation. And then the elder touches him and says, there is one that is worthy. And he turns around. He says, it's the Lion of Judah, and as he turns around, it's the slain Lamb that he sees on the throne. It's Jesus, slain for our sins. And the message to this group of believers to encourage them and get them out of their unbelief and faith and disappointment is, look unto Jesus. Okay? That was the message to this group. The, the, the Romans in these towns, they were baffled. They had they, schilders, they had mieren gehad, they had rico's genoemd. Riku, soos Rikoffie, dit is sikker waar Rikoffie vandaan kom, maar tegen die mire, they, they, they did with coffee, that they, they sketched this woman with her two children in the ground in the Colosseum, as the lions coming out, bowing down to worship. Now let me tell you, if we, we put modern day Christians in a Colosseum and tell them you're going to be eaten by lions, they will start to SMS and say, hey, I've got rights. Huh? Well, where can I go to court? What does these, these people do? They bow down. They say, we're going to meet Jesus right now in a few minutes. So let's not waste our breath. Let's bow down. Daughter, son, we're going to worship him. And the question was, how did that, how did they get that perspective? Because they got a new perspective. How did they get that perspective? It's, it's by saying, I believe a higher reality, a higher truth than what I'm experiencing. Even though I'm in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Stuff isn't working out. I don't have any food. I don't know if I'm going to live till the end of the month. I don't know if anyone's going to beat me to death. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when this is going to end. And you know what Jesus writes to some of those churches? He says to them, you will be persecuted until the end. There's no prosperity gospel there. <laughs> it's not like follow Jesus and you'll get a car and a girlfriend and a and you'll be happy for the rest of your life. So you will be persecuted until the end. And then he says to them, follow me until the end. Don't give up. I'll be with you. That was this truth that this group of people responded to. And it helped them to get out of the feeling sorry for themselves, the self-pity. You know, self-pity is one of the first things we go to. Ooh, ek verdien beter. You know what self-pity is a form of pride? Feeling sorry for yourself. They didn't, they didn't have a chance to go there. They had to fight for survival. They had to keep their faith alive. Jesus said to them, don't compromise. Don't, don't bow your knee in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Now, sometimes it's easy to live in a situation like that because we're all confronted with it. It's difficult to live in a... In a that's difficult as well, don't get me wrong. But it's difficult to live for a long time in a, in a, in a place and a culture where, where I'm not persecuted and pressed all the time. So I let I, I, and, and, and I listen to these thoughts, I listen to these accusations, I listen to the lies of the enemy and I don't react to it. Because there's no need for me to, to be sharp. So I can just float through life. 
But then as I float, I become lukewarm. And I take a step back. And that's how spiritual death happens. It's one step at a time. It's not from, you know, high to low in one second. It's one moment at a time. A little bit of death, a little bit of compromise. A little bit of death, a little bit of compromise. That's why Jesus comes to them in His holiness. He says to them, this is who I am. And John, at the end of chapter 1, falls at His feet as though dead. That's what Revelation 1 says. John was the disciple that was, had his, his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He took care of his mother. He was the only disciple at the cross. Because he sees something different of Jesus. And his response is, he falls face down. As if dead. He says, Jesus, I don't know. And Jesus touches his shoulder and says, it's me, John. Stand up. I want to show you something. Write everything down. You need to give this message to this group of believers. You need to encourage them. They need encouragement. So we, we, I'm going to lead us in, in prayer. I don't want to focus only on the, the unbelief and the doubt and the discouragement. I really sense that I hope that it, it equips us to be men and women of faith. Because what I've seen is that, that as I step out in faith, the enemy steps out with doubt and unbelief. Every single time. And if I'm not prepared to handle that, it will, it will, it will derail me. So, so my prayer for us as a group of people tonight is that we will fight the good fight of faith. That we will be sharp. We will have discernment. And I believe that even tonight that, that, that Jesus wants to sow seeds of faith in our hearts. Show us stuff that He still wants to do. Remind us of promises that's, that's in our heart that we've forgotten about. All, some of us are still really young. It's got a whole life ahead of us. There's a lot of things that we're hoping for, expecting, trusting. And, 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 and I want us to go for those things. You know what the longest journey is? The longest journey for us is from here to here. It's the 18-inch journey. It's from our head to our heart. We can sing, God is faithful, and we can say, hey, God is faithful. If you don't know it here, you don't know it yet. And the only way it gets from year to year is with revelation and with experience. So I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. John writes, he says, I am not telling you something that I haven't seen or I haven't heard. Saying to them, I'm writing out of experience. This is who Jesus is. I've been with Him. I've seen Him. I've touched Him. I've walked with Him. He's the man of grace, but also a man with fire in His eyes. That is who He is. And, and I want to pray for us that that journey will be quicker. That God will open our eyes. That's why Paul prayed for the churches. He said, Lord, please just open their eyes. So that they can see you. Not, not so that they can go with open eyes through life. Open their eyes so they can see who Jesus is. They must see him. Something of him. Let's stand. We can stand. So I don't, I don't want to lose the preciousness of this moment. So I'm going to lead us in ministry. And then we're just going to worship together. So Jesus, we as a group say thank you that you are with us tonight. We've experienced your presence here. You are here. 
You are here, Lord. What an honor to be in your presence. It's not something light, Lord. It's not something that we just take for granted. You are here. In your power, in your goodness, in your grace. With your loving kindness, in your faithfulness. With fire in your eyes, but also grace in the way you speak to us tonight. Lord, we want to just sidestep some of the hindrances of the enemy. Some of the traps. We want to be people of faith. That live with this reality that there's a higher truth than our circumstances. Than what than our disappointments. There's a higher truth. And that truth tonight is that you are on the throne. You are sovereign above all. That you have us, you hold us. And even though we go through some of these things, you are with us. We want to thank you for that, Lord, that you do not leave us nor forsake us. You do not leave us alone. You are with us. Just sense, Lord, that you want to release faith tonight. So we're going to So So Lord, we want to worship you as a group. We're going to worship you. And just before we worship, I want to I want to just ask us, let's let's take a moment and respond. I can really sense God's presence here. Let's just respond. Whatever is in your heart, whatever is in your mind, whatever is in your head, let's speak to Him. Lord, I repent of my unfaithfulness, of my doubt and my unbelief. Forgive me. I didn't, I, I didn't withstand the lies of the enemy. Lord, it caught me off guard. I want you to, to just heal me tonight. Deliver me. Change my mind. Help me, Lord, to restore my mind, my thoughts. Thank you for truth. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come and shine your light on areas. Shine your light. Just in your own words, just, let's just respond to it.